Well, hey, East Lake Church. My name is Dave, and I have been an advisor for East Lake Church even if you never met me, uh, for about four years now. I actually live in the state of Wisconsin. I've been friends with Brent and Kylie uh, now for several years. And so uh, we've just had a great connection and we've had uh, over the years built a great friendship. So I have that privilege of being able at time to, from time to time to swing through the Tri-Cities area. And Pastor Brent usually asks me, hey, when you're in town, will you give a talk? And so when I came through this year, I said, you know what, I'd love to, and I'd be willing to just speak to the camera, but I just gave a talk at a church right here in the state of Washington this week that I think would be beneficial to the people of Eastlake. And so I hope that as you listen in and as you kind of take notes today, um, that you would find something that I talked about beneficial to you, talked about what it looks like to be a hero maker. And the, the essence of being a hero maker is that, uh, that we pour our life, we take our time, our energy, our resources, and we pour that into other people. And instead of us trying to be the hero in this life, we help other people become the hero. So I hope you enjoy. I want you to know today is a great day to be here because we're gonna be talking about something uh, called a hero maker. And in essence, a hero maker is someone who invests their life in individuals and pours themselves into someone else in order for that person they're investing in to be a hero. So I'm doing something for another person. Uh, king Solomon, in one of his writings, he was the king of Israel, uh, he puts it this way, that those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. That when I invest in someone, when I pour into something, somebody, it actually does something for me. And so we're gonna unpack that thought here in a little bit and unpack what it looks like to be a hero maker. But before we do that, I thought it would be fun to see how cultured you are here at this church. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you the name of an individual, and what I would like you to do is tell me what hero that individual became. And we're gonna start out really, really easy, all right? We're just gonna start out bottom line here, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, of course, all right? I'll give you one more easy one here. Uh, we'll go Clark Kent, Superman, yeah. All of us grew up and there were heroes in front of us. Now let's go a little bit uh, more challenging here. Uh, T'Challa, Black Panther, come on, get with it, get with it here. Uh, how about Dr. Bruce Banner? The Hulk, of course. Uh, now we're gonna go a little bit back in time here. Dr. Jamie, or it wasn't Dr., I'm sorry, Jamie Summers. Bionic woman, runs 65 miles an hour here from half mile away, jumped 30 feet, amazing woman. All right, now we're gonna get even more complex. Ralph Hinckley, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. The greatest American hero, woo, you know it. All right, one more for you, another challenging one. I didn't want to keep this too easy. Benjamin Krupp. Come on, Captain Underpants. Yeah, there you go, come on. Well, here's the deal. You know this, that we live in a world obsessed with heroes because heroes save the day, heroes uh, make life fun, they are winners. And so from very early on in life, it just gets into our psyche that it would be fun to be a hero. So on Halloween, what do we do? As kids, we dress up as heroes. And then even as adults, sometimes we go to costume parties and we dress up as heroes. Um, you might remember this from like the late 70s and throughout the 80s. Uh, there was literally a, um, a pair of underwear and t-shirts called underoos, 
right? And you could wear this and walk around the house thinking you were some sort of hero. And then as we get older, it just kind of unfolds and it looks different. And it becomes more of something we'd like to see in real life. Now, we know we're not going to be Superman or Spider-Man, but if we have a YouTube channel, we're, we're hoping that our channel goes viral. We want to be the hero, right? If uh, we um, are employed somewhere, regardless of the size of the company, we want to be recognized as one of the top employees. If we're on a baseball team and the bases are loaded and it's the bottom of the ninth, we want to be the person who hits a grand slam and everybody chants our name, right? None of us have visions of saying, um, I, I want to be the person on the sideline cheering on that batter. Or I want to be the person on the base who just makes it home. No, we want to be the person who has the great moment. And it's just human nature. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? When we're competing with someone, we want to win. We want to get the gold medal. If, if we're given a speech, we want a drop the mic moment. We, there's something in us that says we want to be a hero. But I think it's important for us to remind ourselves or think about the fact that nobody is actually born a hero. Most of the people that we consider a hero, whether it's in cartoons or in movies or in TV or in real life, often have a, they have a journey that starts off in broken places. So nobody becomes a hero without a hero maker. Nobody ever becomes a hero without a hero maker. Now, growing up, if I would have had the choice to be any hero, uh, it would have been Batman. And there's lots of reasons for that, and I had lots of Batman paraphernalia, but Batman is focused, he's disciplined, he values human life, right? He doesn't kill anybody. Uh, he's got tons of gadgets that, along with his wit, allows him to defeat anybody. But put all that aside, the guy was super, super wealthy, all right? So I would love to have been Batman. But here's what we know about Batman. He is not self-made. He had a butler. Somebody tell me, who was his butler? Alfred, of course. Mr. Pennyworth, right? He was one of Batman's closest allies. He was a friend and a surgeon to Batman. He was a father figure. He plays many important roles in the life of Batman. Batman would not have been Batman without Alfred. Alfred is a hero maker. Now, if we were just to pause here for a little bit and we were just to take the time to evaluate our life and to consider the areas in which we've been successful and the areas in life in which we have the most confidence, if we've thought about it long enough, we would all come to the realization that the reason we're successful or the reason we're confident or the reason we've achieved what we have in this life is because all of us have had hero makers in our life. Someone poured into us, someone invested in us, someone spoke words of life to us, they gave us opportunities. And what's interesting is if we had the time for everybody to share and they came up on stage and they held the microphone, and they said, hey, I wanna tell you about the hero makers in my life and they gave us the names, we wouldn't recognize the names because they're not being talked about in the news and not being written about in the papers or in magazines and their life isn't featured in some movie. For the most part, they're just individuals behind the scenes who use their influence and their time and their abilities and their energy and their power to invest in us. And the question that I'm hoping all of us would take the time to consider today and throughout the week, really, is this question right here. How will you use your power? How will you use your power? 
How will you use your influence? How will you use your authority? Less than 24 hours before his death, Jesus found himself standing before one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. His name was Pontius Pilate. And Pilate was the governor of Judea. He represented the Roman emperor all over, um, or, or over that specific region of the world. So that just basically meant he had absolute power over Judea. And he had the ability in, in, uh, in his trial with Jesus to actually free him or sentence him to crucifixion. And so Pilate is interrogating Jesus. And he reminds Jesus that he is in control and that he has the power to do with Jesus as he so desires. And here was Jesus' response. He said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Now that's a sobering statement. Jesus looks to Pilate and he says, Pilate, the power you have, the authority that you have, the influence you have, it has been given to you by God. He's entrusted it to you. It's on loan to you. You have it for a season. Eventually, it's going to be taken away. What Jesus was communicating was this, was, was this reality that all power is, is stewardship. The power we have in life has been entrusted to us for a season, and we are accountable for how we use it. Now, I'm very aware that a talk like this is very easy to dismiss, because when we think of power, we have different names that come to our mind, but most of us don't think of ourselves, right? We think of that person is a person of power. They're the boss. They're the CEO. They're the one in charge. But I want you to know that every single one of us has power in different arenas of life. And it looks different for every one of us, right? So there are some examples we can just walk through here. There's political power, right? For some of you, you have influence, local uh, locally or even in the state with politics, maybe even on a national level with politics. Uh, there is social power, right? Because of your personality and your ability to kind of command crowds, you have power in the community or you have power in your neighborhood and in different social settings. There's birth order power. The fact that you were born before your siblings, right? Growing up, you were older than them. You were bigger than them. You got to drive first. You got to have the freedoms before they got to have them. And then even into adulthood, often uh, as, as the kind of the power shift can begin to uh, change a little bit, there's still something about being the oldest often that gives you a little bit more influence. Uh, there's a marital power. You know, we definitely believe in equality when it comes to marriage between husbands and wives. But you know this, it's sometimes based on someone's upbringing or their commanding personality or just their dominance in how they do things or their paycheck, they just seem to have a little bit more power. Uh, there's organizational power. So you're the CEO, you're the manager, you're the one who gets to make the calls. Uh, there's positional power. You're a team captain, you're a coach, you're a teacher. You have a position of power. Uh, there's family power. There are people who just by nature of nothing they chose, just by the nature of, they, they are by the fact that they were born into a specific family and they carry the last name, they have influence. They have opportunities, right? They're able to do things other people aren't do because, uh, able to do because of the family they were born into. There's financial power. In, in America, all of us have financial power, but even by American standards, there are some who just have way more resources than other people. And that gives you power. 
I mean, come, you, you know this, if, if you've got more resources than the people in your neighborhood or the people in your workplace, there's just something about that that draws people to you and, and, and you're able to have more influence uh, when people know you have money. It just is what it is. Uh, there's military power. Uh, there's, there's civil power. People here who uh, are police officers or who serve in leadership roles in the community. And this list could go on and on and on. But what I'm hoping we all see is that in our life, we have power. If you're a parent, you have power. If you're a grandparent, you have power. If you're an aunt or an uncle, you have power, you have influence. And the power we have is going to be leveraged for the good or bad. Rarely is power used in a neutral way. In fact, many of us, if we could just open up our lives and we'd be willing to talk about the darkest seasons of our life, often it's because of an individual or a group of individuals who abused or misused their power in that season. A mom or a dad, a step-parent, someone in your workplace, the person you were married to. On the flip side, I'm guessing probably all of us have stories that we're ashamed of that we look back to in a season of our life, whether it was intentional or unintentional, and we misused our power and we hurt people or we took advantage of people. Now at the same time, we all have stories of people who use their power in a very positive way to impact our life. Maybe your story is how in the best season of your life, the reason it was the best season was because you were working for a certain person who shared their power with you. They used their power and they got behind you. They used their power to stand up for you when nobody else was standing up for you. Maybe they gave away some of their power to give you a second chance and to take a risk on you and to forgive you and to restore you. This is why Uncle Ben looks to Peter Parker and he says this, that with great power comes great responsibility. All power is stewardship. It has been given to you, it's been given to me for a season and at some point it will be taken away. So if you have young kids in the house and they're running around, you have a lot of power, you have a lot of influence over them. But as they get older, somewhere around the age of five, right? They start to become way more independent. You lose a little bit of that influence. If you're an employer, you, man, you have the ability to make decisions and make calls and tell people what to do, but you will not have that power forever. Eventually, you're gonna to move to a different company or retire or die. If you're an employee, same thing. You, won't, you, you represent a company. That's a lot of power in how you represent the company and the work that you do. But eventually, you will not be at that company. So what are you going to do with your power? How are you going to use it? Some people, they use the power they have to protect their power. Right? They're going to make the decisions. They're going to be in control. While other people, they find ways to take their power and share it with others and give it away. Some people, they use the power to take advantage of those with less power. And then there are those who take their power and they choose to be a voice for those with very little power. So how will you use your power? How are you gonna use your words? How are you gonna use your actions in a positive way? See, I think it's very easy to just not be intentional about this. You, you know when we're intentional? When we're dating. Oh man, we're so careful with our words, aren't we? We're so careful with our actions. We're gonna build the other person up. I was thinking, this past week, as I was getting ready for this talk, that 
when I was most intentional in how I used the power of my words and influence with my wife was when we were dating. And we happened to work at the old spaghetti factory in Minneapolis. There were probably six or seven of uh, my college friends who worked there. And uh, we got to know each other. And I had a little bit of power at that time because I was the only one who worked there who had a vehicle. And so everybody uh, at the college, right? And so everybody at my college would rely on me for rides. And so as I started to really like my wife, Rindy, I uh, said to her, uh, I, I said to her one day, um, I said, hey, let's, let's go out and hang out with everybody. And she said, I'll think about it. Well, I decided I was gonna wait till she got in the car and put her on the spot in front of everybody. But here's what I did beforehand. I went around to every one of the people I give rides to. It was like three people plus Rindy. And I said, hey, here's the deal. I said, today, I'm gonna ask Rindy if she wants to hang out with us and go like to Denny's. If she says yes, I want you to find a reason you cannot, but I'm gonna ask her first. And so if you wanna continue getting rides from me, you better find an excuse to kind of not be able to hang out with us, all right? And it did, it worked like a charm. We got in, hey, Rindy, I, I know I asked you earlier, but do you wanna come hang out with us at Denny's afterwards? She goes, yeah, yeah, I'll do that, that'll be fun. And I was like, hey, Jack, are you gonna uh, be able to come hang out with us? Ah, you know, I got laundry to do, Dave, I can't do it tonight. Tom, why don't you come hang out with us? Dave, I'd love to, I'd love to, I got something else going on. So my first couple dates with my wife were total manipulation and it worked. It was awesome, right? And then she fell in love with me because how can you not, right? And so <laughs> how are you gonna use your power? So you have the choice to use your power and influence to be a hero where the attention's on you and the spotlight's on you and everybody knows you or a hero maker. And just so we're on the same page, let me just tell you the difference really between the two. Here it is. Heroes love to stand on platforms. They love to stand on platforms. And it's not necessarily they love to stand on platforms like this, but they, they kind of like the spotlight. They like to be noticed. They like to promote other, uh, themselves. Um, they, they love the accolades. And bottom line is they carry, carry, uh, care very much what people think about them. That's different than a hero maker. Hero makers love to build platforms for others to stand on. Hero makers, they're driven by finding ways to elevate people and give them opportunities and promote them and put a spotlight on others. Last year, a great leader and philanthropist by the name of Bob Buford passed away. Bob was very successful. But I love how he defines success. Here's one of his quotes. He says, my fruit grows on other people's trees. You wanna know how I evaluate success? I look at the people I've poured into, I look at the people I've believed in, and I look at their life. That's a hero maker. They build platforms for other people to stand on. And if you wanna do that with your life, let me give you three practical ways that you can do that. We'll just kinda of go through these fairly quickly. Number one, look for the good in others. Now this is, even, even as I put this up there, it just feels like a no-brainer. It just feels so overly simplistic. But come on, you know this is true. It is so much easier to see the flaws in people. It's so much easier to see what you would change about people, what you would do differently. You've got to be intentional to look for good in others. Every human being has something good inside of them. In fact, this is the reason that I am a personality test junkie. Okay, I love personality tests and the staff that I lead, man, I put them through tests all the time. Myers-Briggs, DIST test, uh, 
uh, Enneagram test. I mean, we're just constantly going through this because what I've learned is it's very easy to see something in somebody if you identify and relate to that personality. But if you don't identify and relate to another personality, you know what it's easy to do? Just dismiss them and, and, and just think they don't add the same kind of value as other people. And what I've learned is regardless of your personality, unless you're creepy, you add something to the team. And this is the same with, with family, right? Everybody in your family and my family has value. So let me just give you a simple example. My, my daughter, um, Alyssa, uh, she is choleric, which means she is all about power and control, okay? This has been ever since she was like one years old. I mean, she has just gotta be large and in charge. And uh, when she's not in control, she just gets high anxiety and she gets uh, upset. Uh, well, back in January, of this year, she texted me and uh, she told me that the van that I let her drive, she drives a minivan, but it's mine. She told me my, uh, the van uh, got banged up in a hit and run, okay? And it wasn't horrible, but the, the whole front bumper was, was messed up. And so it, it was obvious through her texting that she was really distraught over this. And, and so I just wanted to calm her down. I said, are you okay? She says, I'm okay. I said, listen, uh, as long as you're not hurt, as long as the van is drivable, and as long as it runs, we're okay. She replied with this. She says, okay, good, because by hit and run, I mean I drove it into a snowbank and then drove off. <laughs> she, she had to control my response before she let me know what was really happening, right? And this has been Alyssa her entire life. And I'm telling you, ever since she was young, I've disciplined myself that when she wouldn't listen and she would do her own thing, I would say, Alyssa, you are gonna be a tremendous leader someday. You've got so many leadership skills. I love your independence, but right now I'm your daddy. And right now you gotta listen to me, but I would do that ever since she was young. And so if you wanna be someone who looks for the good in others, I wanna encourage you to memorize a sequence of just four letters. Here they are. I-C-N-U. And this isn't an acronym. It doesn't stand for anything. It's just a play on the letters. I have trained our staff to do this. I-C-N-U. And I say to our staff, how many I-C-N-U conversations have you had this week? I see in you someone who loves God. I see in you someone who's got leadership skills. I see in you someone who's patient with kids. I see in you someone who's faithful. You're on time week after week. I see in you someone who loves your family. I see in you someone who, who, who uh, lifts up your spouse on a regular basis. I see in you. When you begin to see in others what they do not see in themselves, you become a hero maker. And it's a reminder that every human being has value and worth and significance. If you want to be a hero maker, there's a second thing I encourage you to do, and that is encourage others. This isn't natural for most people. We have to put reminders on our phone, right? I don't know if you realize this, but most people feel like they are losing in life. They're losing as an employee. They're losing as a husband or a wife. They're losing as a child. Most of the time, we assume people are just doing okay, and so we don't mind complaining to them, and we don't mind belittling them, and if we don't get the service we need, we don't mind saying what we want to say, however we want to say it, right? We don't even mind talking about people behind their back, because we just assume, well, they're fine. They need to be brought down a little bit. It's like when you get behind a really bad driver who's swerving on the road, and they're braking all the time. I mean, it goes through our mind. It's like either they are not sober right now and they need to get pulled over or uh, they're just a horrific driver and someone needs to take away their license. But it's amazing how much our perspective changes when we notice that they have a student driver sticker on their car, right? 
Now all of a sudden, it brings a little bit of clarity to why they're swerving. It brings a little bit of clarity to why they're breaking. And we give them some, some grace because we're like, we've been there. Way to go. Keep it up. I wish that everybody had stickers on the outside describing what was happening on the inside because it would help us in being so much more graceful. In reality, we should assume that most people are not doing okay because that's true. Most people are suffering from self-doubt. Most people are feeling insecure in life. Most people are going through difficult times, whether it's in their marriage or with their kids or at their workplace. And so let me give you a little test to know if someone needs encouragement in their life. And you might want to write this down because this is really deep. If they are breathing. That's it. So if your spouse is breathing, they need encouragement. If your kids are breathing, they need encouragement. If your coworkers are breathing, they need encouragement. If your employer is breathing, they need encouragement. If your chihuahua is breathing, it's just a chihuahua, just leave it. Don't worry about it, right? <laughs> One of the greatest ways that we can encourage people, just think about this in regards to our own life, is right, through our words. Everywhere we go, we carry miracle grow and roundup. And with our words, we are bringing life to people or we are destroying people. This is why if you read through the collection of letters written by the Apostle Paul in the first century, the theme of encouragement is just weaved all throughout it. In one of his letters, he writes this, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, the book of Hebrews was a letter, and we don't know who the author is. There's debate on that. But it was written to a group of Jewish followers of Jesus. These are people who left Judaism. They're now following Jesus, but they were... They were going through difficult times. It was costing them financially. It was costing them in regards to um, their, uh, their friendships. They were losing friends. They were losing influence. Some of them had property being taken away. Just crazy difficult times for them to continue to remain faithful to Jesus. And here's what the author writes. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. I don't care what arena of life you have power in. Don't discount your voice. You become a hero maker when you use your words to build others up and to communicate to them that they matter more than they think they do. Or you go out of your way to do something special for them. One of my favorite stories of all time is a story of Cheryl Pruitt. True story. Her dad owned a grocery store out in a rural community, and it was a small little grocery store. And during the summer, Cheryl would be at the store just kind of helping her dad. Well, Every single week throughout the year, the milkman would come in and, and put milk on shelves, but it was during the summer that Cheryl was there to kind of help him. And so the milkman would go to put these, the milk on the shelves, and Cheryl would kneel alongside him and help him. And he would look at her and tell her how important she was, and he'd look at her and tell her how helpful she was, and he'd rub her head, and he'd ask this question, how's my little Miss America doing? And she loved it. She loved the attention. And so every week he'd come in and he'd rub her head, how's my little Miss America doing? And she'd come alive. And so summer after summer, she looked forward to this. Well, eventually that question of how's my little Miss America doing went from this childhood fantasy to a, a dream of hers. And sure enough, in 1980, she actually stood on the stage in Atlantic City and won Miss America. And when she won, she gave credit to God for his grace and his goodness, but also gave credit to the milkman who encouraged her and believed in her. That is a great story. And... and I'm reminded of it every single day when I see my own daughters and I rub their head and I ask them the question, how's my little miss millionaire doing? How is my little miss millionaire doing? 
who's going to take care of daddy, right? There's power in words that can change the course of someone's life. They can change the course of someone's day and they can change the course of someone's entire family just by speaking words of life to them. Third thing we can do if we want to be a hero maker is invest in others. There's a guy in our Bible by the name of Joseph, but we don't know him as Joseph. We actually know him by his nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Barnabas had lots of influence in the early days of the church because of his ability to encourage people. And his primary way of encouraging people was investing in them. He gave his time to them and he taught them and he walked them along in, in, in their spiritual journey. And, and one of the guys that Barnabas invested in was a guy named Saul. Now, followers of Jesus were terrified of Saul because Saul had used his power and influence to actually persecute followers of Jesus. And so Saul has this conversion experience and the followers of Jesus want nothing to do with them because they think, well, he's just a spy. He's pretending to be one of us so he can figure out our names and we're gonna end up being persecuted or even die. But Barnabas believed in Saul. Here's what we read. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Now, Saul is known to us as the Apostle Paul. And it's interesting because Barnabas never wrote a letter or a book that ended up in our Bible, but Paul ended up writing 13 letters that became part of our Bible. That would never have happened without Barnabas. He is a hero maker. Out of curiosity, does anybody here know who Joe Ellsby Martin is? I didn't think so. Joe Ellsby Martin was a police officer back in 1954 when a 12-year-old kid had his brand new Schwinn bicycle stolen. And it was a Christmas gift that he had received from his dad. So this 12-year-old was just fired up and he was ready to fight. And the police officer saw how intense this 12-year-old kid. And he said, hey, listen, kid, before you fight someone, you better learn to fight. And the police officer actually uh, helped run a local boxing club. So he offered to help train this little kid how to fight. And young Cassius Clay decided to take him up on his offer. And of course, the rest is history. We know Cassius as Muhammad Ali. But Muhammad Ali would not be Muhammad Ali without Joe Ellsby Martin. If you wanna be a hero maker, you have to learn to look for the good in others, encourage others, and invest in others. So who are you doing that right now, with right now? What kid, what adult, what coworker, what couple are you pouring yourself into? Today, I wanna wrap up by showing you an abbreviated speech by Father Gregory Boyle. Back in the early 90s, Father Greg started Homeboy Industries, which is the largest and most successful gang rehabilitation and reentry program in the world. And the work that he's doing is really taking people you would never expect to be heroes, and he's turning them into heroes, and he's doing something with them. Check this out, and then we'll wrap it up. Alma mater, Gonzaga University, uh, called me and said uh, they were going to have a big talk on a Tuesday night with a thousand people. And so I, you know, uh, I said, sure. And they said, can you bring two homies with you? And I always pick homies who have never flown before just for the thrill of seeing gang members panicked in the sky. <laughs> I've never picked anybody more terrified of flying than this guy, Mario. He was just absolutely petrified. In fact, he was hyperventilating. <gasps> and we hadn't even boarded the plane yet. 
And then our, our flight crew arrives and I see two flight attendants, females, and they both have very large cups of Starbucks coffee and they're schlepping up the front steps. And Mario goes, when are we gonna board the plane? I said, as soon as they sober up the pilots. I should tell you that Mario in our 30 year history at Homeboy is the most tattooed individual who's ever worked there. His arms are all sleeved out, neck blackened with the name of his gang, head shaved, covered in tattoos, forehead, cheeks, chin, eyelids that say the end so that when he's lying in his coffin, there's no doubt. And so I'd never been in public with him and we're walking and people are like this and mothers are clutching their kids more closely. And I'm thinking, wow, isn't that interesting? Because if you were to go to Homeboy on Monday and ask anybody there who's the kindest, most gentle soul who works there, they won't say me, they'll say Mario. He sells baked goods at the counter at our cafe. He's proof that only the soul that ventilates the world with tenderness has any chance of changing the world. So the nighttime talk comes and it's a thousand people and I invite them up to share their stories in front of all these people for five minutes each. They were terrified, but they did a good job. And honest to God, if their stories had been flames, you'd have to keep your distance, otherwise you'd get scorched. I invite them up for Q&A and and I said, yes, ma'am. And a woman stands and she says, yeah, I got a question. It's for Mario. First question out the gate. And Mario steps up to the microphone. He's a tall drink of water, skinny and clutching the microphone. And he's terrified. Yes. And she says, well, you say you're a father and you have a son and a daughter who are about to enter their teenage years. What advice do you give them? What wisdom do you impart to them? And Mario clutches his microphone and he's just terrified and he's trembling and he's getting a hernia. When finally he blurts out, I just... And he stops and he retreats back to his microphone clutching, terrified retreat. But he wants to get this whole sentence out. I just don't want my kids to turn out to be like me. And there's silence until the woman who asked the question stands and now it's her turn to cry and she says, why wouldn't you want your kids to turn out to be like you? You are loving, you are kind, you are gentle, you are wise. I hope your kids turn out to be like you. And a thousand total perfect strangers stand and they will not stop clapping. And all Mario can do is hold his face in his hand, so overwhelmed with emotion that this room full of people, strangers, had returned him to himself, and they were returned to themselves. And I think you go from here to stand with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop. And you stand with the disposable so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. And you stand with those whose dignity has been denied. And you stand with those whose burdens are more than they can bear. And you stand with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. Make those voices heard. So Father Greg sees the good in others. He encourages them and he invests in them. That's what a hero maker is. 
And if you look at your life and you say, without even realizing it, just accidentally, I've become the hero of my own story. I want to challenge you to figure out a way to be a hero maker. Maybe that starts for you because you've never done it. Maybe it starts by just surrendering your life to Jesus because here's what happens. When we surrender our life to Jesus, he says, now I want you to sacrifice for others. Now I want you to serve others. Now I want you to do for others what they can't do for themselves. Now I want you to use your words to build others up instead of tearing them down. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you've kind of drifted from that today, I'm calling you back. Because when you come back, you realize I'm not the hero of my own story. I get to be a hero maker in a much bigger story. This is why King Solomon wrote, we read it earlier, that those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed.